We are Dr. Sarah Bone and Dr. Lisa Tartaglia. We are both actively practicing osteopathic physicians, dual boarded in family medicine and hospice and palliative medicine. You Only Die Once is a virtual place for sharing information about serious illness, the end of life process, hospice and palliative medicine with the patient, the family, and the practitioner. You only die once, and we believe it can and should be a good death. Hi, I'm Dr. Bone. Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa Tartaglia, and we're here today to talk about the harsh realities of being in the hospital. So this topic was brought to my attention by a resident that I was working with just not too long ago. And as we were discussing about the hospital is not as safe as what we would hope or what we think. Mm -hmm. and, and I talked with Dr. T about this and we decided this is something we really need to discuss. The harsh realities of hospitalization, that it's not as safe as what you might think. You're, you're in the hospital because you're ill and you wind up being at extended bed rest and that, that mm -hmm. causes a lot of risk factors of its own. Right. I love how you um, developed the term, the royal effects. Can you tell the viewers about this? <laughs> so the royal effect is you're, you're treated like royalty at the hospital. Everything comes to you. You don't have to go anywhere for anything, and you just push a button, and someone will come and find out what your needs are. Your food comes to you. Your bath is brought to you, mm -hmm. or your help to the bath. Your your you've gotten to the toilet with assistance, your medications, your doctor, your nurse, your therapist, everybody comes to you. And if you need to go to a test, you don't have to go there. They someone take will, you. Someone will take you. In a wheelchair. Yeah. So <laughs> while you're in the hospital, you're in the hospital because you're ill, you're de going to decline while you're there. Your strength is going to decline. Your function is going to decline while you're there because everything is being brought to you because you're, you're being treated like royalty. Yeah, and it's important for you to get up and move around because if not, yeah, you're right. at a higher risk for blood clots, you're at a high risk for functional decline when you get home, as Dr. Bone said. And also, when you're not moving around, you're not able to go to the bathroom, so you become constipated. Yeah, so you're going to lose strength, function, mm -hmm. you're going to get constipated, and you, you're going to have other issues that are going to develop from not being active. Right. Another big thing that changes when you go to the hospital that you don't even think of is nutrition. Um, when you go into the hospital, you're eating hospital food. So the taste is different, the quality, the timing of your meals, um, how much food you're getting. You know, are you that diabetic that's now going to have to eat that disgusting diet? They're not going to give diet? you what you want. Yeah, yeah right. you're not going to have any donuts. You're no on jelly a cardiac donuts. diet. You're not going to get, get any salt. salt. Um, when is the meals getting delivered? Are you a, a night owl where you um, don't like, like to wake up in the morning uh, really early? Well, your meal might be delivered at 6.30, 7 o'clock, so by the time you get around to eating it, will the temperature be off? Will it be cold? Are you going to eat cold oatmeal? And sure, they can warm it up for you, but then it's been nuked. Yes. And what is the amount of food? Like, are you used to having big breakfast, small breakfast, big lunch, small lunch? You know, all those kind of things play a part in your, your ability to heal and ability to eat. So it's going to affect your appetite. Mm -hmm. You might miss a meal. You might be gone for a test. They might bring your meal and, and set it on your bedside table and you were asleep, maybe because of a medication, and your appetite is just off. Yeah. 
Are you a denture wearer? Did you bring your dentures? Can you even eat the t consistency of the food that they're bringing to you? Can you eat in bed laying down? I mean, that sounds nice when people bring you breakfast in bed, but what about eating every meal in bed for a couple of days or maybe for several days? Yeah, and also like what, what liquids are they giving you? Do you have water in your room? Is the water even palatable? Can you drink it? Does it have a nice taste? Is it warm? Is it cold? Is it available? Is it even within your reach because you're stuck in bed? So maybe they bring you those little bottles of water, then you know it's gonna it's gonna be refreshing and it's not gonna be warm water. Can you get the lid off? Okay. Yes. Can you, can you get yes. that lid off? So your fluid consumption and your food consumption is certainly gonna be different in the hospital than what it was at home. Mm -hmm. When you go go in the hospital, it's it's normal to have some increased confusion. Some people get very anxious in the hospital. Their sleep wake cycle is off, and people get depressed. I mean, if you if you're not used to being down for the count, laying in bed, some people do not like to be uh, have the royal effect. They want to be up and doing their things. Well, you get your nights and days mixed up. Absolutely, you can get disoriented. The lights are going to be weird. Mm -hmm. You know, every hospital room has to have a window uh, so you can see outside but that may not be enough you know maybe the the window that you've got doesn't really face a direction where you get good penetration of life light so your your days and nights are going to get messed up messed up the hospital has 24 hours of activity right. and they try to keep this like dimmed light at night but the nurses have to have some light to see with and she's going to come in and check on you or he is going to come in and check mm -hmm. on you in the middle of the night so when they open that door to come in and check on you light's going to pour into that room and it's going to mess up your your day night cycle orientation. Yeah, and with a 24-hour of activity, they have to give medications at night. They're, sometimes they're drawing blood in the middle of the night because that's when the Four o'clock in the morning. Four o'clock in the morning, the phlebotomist is going around to do the rounds because they have to have the phlebotomist ready for the new patients that are coming in or for procedures that are going on. So that that becomes a problem. Can you even get out of bed to open up um, uh, your blinds to see outside the window? Sometimes mm -hmm. you, you, know, you can't even get up to turn on your lights, so it's very dark at all times. Is your bed comfortable? What's the height of your bed? How are your pillows? Do you even have pillows? Um, How it, are you dressed? Are you yes. wearing like, are you wearing comfortable clothes, or are you wearing one of those gowns that exposes you in the back, and you're not you're not comfortable in mm -hmm. in that type of thing? So if you're wearing a hospital gown and you're really not comfortable in the hospital gown, are you even going to want to get up to get out of bed if there's a chair in your room to sit down on? Will you want to utilize it if you're not, if your backside is out, if you don't have uh, proper undergarments? Yeah, what kind of chair do you have to sit in? Are you having to be in that bed mm -hmm. 24 hours a day? And I know the beds, you know, are mechanical and they move, but it's not like sitting in a chair or sitting in a recliner. If your family comes, they may be the ones in that chair. Is is that chair comfortable for them mm -hmm. to sit in? Right. And what are your your interactions with others become skewed because of the time, the day and the uh, day and night reversal? Because a lot of times, since the hospital is twenty four seven, you know, at night you might be so interrupted that you're sleepy during the day. When your family comes to visit, or maybe they can't come to visit very often because they still have to work a work schedule, or traffic mm -hmm. prevents them from being able to get here. I know in Florida, our traffic has Ugh. has really been bad the last few years, and and it's difficult for families to be able to come and visit. So you end up spending a lot of time by yourself, and the only interaction you have is with the hospital personnel, and and they 
they are on the clock. They've got other patients they need to tend to as well. Yeah, so they can't really spend a great deal of time interacting with you because they have a, a caseload themselves. And not only is traffic worse, but also hospitals have gotten worse, meaning they are filled with people. They are just filled to the max. Sometimes patients are being boarded in the emergency department because the hospitals mm -hmm. are full. And there's a lot of staffing issues uh, because of uh, everything that has happened since COVID. So other things that can affect your sleep-wake cycle could be medications. You might be mm -hmm. on something for anxiety or for pain or for sleep. Sometimes even blood pressure medicines or antibiotics can kind of goof up your cycle. Right. Um, you know, a lot of times when you go in the hospital, you give up personal items. And when you give up these personal items, that that is your orientation mm -hmm. system. I mean, who mm -hmm. could live without their iPhone? Their yeah. Apple Watch, um, their pets, they're, you know, they're used to having their uh, dog or cat come over to them and then they're like, oh, it's dinner time, I have to feed the dog or I have to take the dog out. You have your own routine set up. Mm -hmm. And so when you go to the hospital, that whole routine can get kind of twisted and you don't have the things that you usually use to orient yourself to what time it is or what day it is. Mm -hmm. I get teased at work because I have a different pair of shoes that I wear. I'm fortunate that I get to wear scrubs to work. So I'm in the same outfit every day. I just I change my T-shirt to a different mm -hmm. color every day, and I have a special pair of sneakers that I wear every day. And I I am teased by my coworkers because I can reorient myself by just looking down at my feet. So I have a Monday pair of sneakers, a Tuesday pair of sneakers, <laughs> and I know what day it is. And my coworkers also know what day it is by looking at my shoes. They oh I know what day it is because I can see Dr. Bones wearing her red sneakers today. Right. When you're in the hospital and you don't have your normal things, it's really you're hard out of to... your element. Mm -hmm. And then you're trying to use that TV controller. Oh, they're so they're so cumbersome. I mean, we we kind of know what it's like to be in a hospital because in our training we had to live in the hospital when we were residents and interns. You had to stay in the hospital, so we we know the pain. But we we were supposed to be living off of adrenaline. We're not supposed to be resting. We're there to take care of the sick. Right. So we didn't sleep, but we did eat the food and we did stay in mm -hmm. a hospital room. So and those those TV controllers and bed controllers are so cumbersome. Yeah. And if it drops on the floor and you can't reach it, then you can't change a channel. Yeah. And you can't call for the nurse because you can't reach that that crazy mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. What if you have a roommate? Oh, there's a lot of issues that can go on with roommates. There's so many issues. Um, you know, is your roommate uh, noisy? Is the patient, is, the, is your roommate in distress? Um, you know, the, Does the roommate answer questions for, for you? you. Yes. I know that sometimes I go in to see a patient. And the roommate from the other side of the room is telling me either what they've observed about this mm -hmm. patient or of something about their own health or about their friend's health that is not really related to the interaction I'm trying to have right here. So roommates bring their own dynamic mm -hmm. if you're in a hospital that still has roommates. Yeah, and I think roommates uh, can really obstruct boundaries for the patients, you know. Um, it, when you're tired, weak, and sick, it's normal for you to be more disoriented. So the disorientation, the depression, anxiety, you're going to see that worse. Um, they call it institutionalized delirium patients mm -hmm. get. After mm -hmm. so many days in the hospital, they get very delirious, and it's going to happen to the best of us. Well, they get agitated, and they yeah. get angry. Sometimes I'll go in as a consultant, and I introduce myself, and I start asking them questions, and they're like, you didn't even look at my chart. You don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. I did look at your chart. I want to hear from you. So I understand that they can get agitated and they can get angry. They're they're frightened. 
yep. you know, yep. and they might forget, you know, who did I see last? Have I met you before? It is very disorienting. Yeah. And, and we to all be wear in white coats. Yeah. Everybody, <laughs> and in the hospital <laughs> I work and we're still wearing a mask. Yeah, How everybody's mask. So nobody can see, you know, nobody can see who they're seeing, um, who they've already seen because all they can see is the eyes and, yeah. and the white coat. Was that the guy? I don't know. He was wearing a mask. Yeah. So you, you spend a lot of time alone and you get these little snippets of... Mm -hmm. Uh, socialization. Yeah, socialization. And so they're, they're not normal socialization. Mm -hmm. And it, it is very disconcerting. And so it can cause you to, you know, have even more issues. And oftentimes when you're in the hospital, you're not seeing the people, the physicians and your healthcare team from uh, outpatient. You're mm -hmm. seeing hospital. Yeah, you're seeing hospitalists and the specialists that are on call for, uh, for the group. And it may not be the person you see. So another contributing factor to, you know, hospital not being as safe as what we might like is how it affects our continence. You wouldn't yeah. think just being in the hospital, what's that got to do with my bowel and my bladder? Oh, a lot. A lot. Mm -hmm. Are we drinking enough fluids? Remember that water we talked about? If it's not bottled, it can be kind of gross. So are we going to want to drink enough fluids? Are we able to get help to go to the bathroom? Um, you know, if we're not able to get help for the bathroom, I know myself, I would not be getting drinking water because I wouldn't want to go to the bathroom. We should be emptying our bladder at least six times a day. You know, you, that's the only way you have to flush out that, that segment of urethra and help keep it clean so that we don't get a bladder infection is by voiding. And so you want to make sure that you're going to the bathroom often. Now, if you're taking a medication that mm -hmm. maybe makes you get rid of water more, you may have to go to the bathroom even more often than that, and you may not be able to control it. If you've got yeah. an infection, it may be making you leak urine, and that may be undesirable. Mm -hmm. So... You think, well, I just have to worry about getting wet. Well, what if sometimes the medications make you not be able to empty your bladder? So you actually have urinary retention and you feel like my bladder is really full and I can't empty my bladder. Yeah, and it can be very painful. So you've got bladder issues for continence and you might have bowel issues. Mm -hmm. What if you've got stool problems because the medicine they gave you for the antibiotic to clear up the infection is now giving you diarrhea? and maybe you can't control it, or the medicine that they give you to relieve your pain has it's made you constipated, constipated so you can't go. So now you're, you're, you're off on your, your bowel and your bladder cycle. Another big thing that you have to worry about when you're in the hospital is falls. It happens mm -hmm. to the best of us. Um, there's medications that can contribute to the fall. You can get, be dizzy. You're just drowsy because re remember we talked about the day-night um, sleep cycle being off because the hospital is a 24-7 operation. It's or you're weak. Yeah. Your blood pressure is low. They, um, they gave you medicine to, to pull off extra fluid or they changed your blood pressure medicine and now your blood pressure is low. Mm -hmm. You could have a lot of pain that might make you not ambulate properly because you're, you're favoring one side or the other that may make you fall. You could be stiff. You have degenerative joint disease. You're already stiff to begin with. You have um, history of a stroke per se. Mm -hmm. So you might have contractures mm -hmm. or atrophy, like not very good... Um, musculature in place from that stroke. You can't fully extend your legs. Maybe you got a muscle cramp. Maybe you've got a, like she said, a contracture to where you can't fully extend your leg or your arm and you can't balance yourself as well. Yeah. There's so many obstacles in place for these poor patients that are in the hospital. There's IVs, you know, they're connected, they could be connected to a heart monitor. So there's uh, different, you know, um, 
uh, electrodes, on, electrodes you. on you that mm -hmm. you get under your a gown and you or in your leg, depending on how you're sitting. And you got to carry this little box around that's in the pouch yes. in the front of your gown. And it's heavy, so that can weigh you down. There's you got IVs. You got oxygen, oxygen tubing. You might have a little monitor on your finger for oxygen. Mm -hmm. You might have the oxygen cannula in your nose. You have your booties. Yeah. Yeah. Those slippers with the little sticky things on the uh -huh. bottom of them to try to keep you from slipping. And I don't know if you've worn those things, but I don't think they're very soft or no. cushy feeling. They're kind of cheap and inexpensive and they they're just have those little rubber things but they're not really comfortable on your feet so you've got obstacles mm -hmm. that you're trying to get around you know maybe you got a mask that you have to sleep yes, with at night and then sometimes people when they're in bed they're worried about their heels being pressed too mm -hmm. firmly in the bed so at night they'll put these big boots on them. it's basically like a pillow strapped to your foot and your ankle and they call them potus boots Yep. If you get up in the middle of the night because you got a leg cramp or you got to go to the bathroom and you get up and you got that great big pillow on there. That's going to fall. You, gonna yeah. Fall. You don't remember <clears throat> that thing is on there except you got this great big pillow strapped to your leg. And by the time you realize it, you may already be down. Yeah. And then there's devices that they use that are compression devices that are really like these large apparatuses that go on your calf to prevent um, blood clots. And they are a pain in the neck because you have to un you know, disconnect them and you will forget. Unvelcro them. And unvelcro them. And if you forget, you will fall because you're connected to to the machine at the end of your bed. And I think it's like a big milking machine that yes. fits on your foot and on your ankle. And, and so it squeezes. sequentially squeezes your foot, then your ankle, then your lower leg, and then it releases. And then it starts squeezing again to kind of milk that blood up mm -hmm. from your lower leg. How do you sleep with that thing on there? Yeah. I know they're trying to keep me from getting a blood clot in my leg by putting that thing on me, but I don't know how I'm going to sleep with a milking machine on each lower leg. I know. It's and then how am I going to get about, I get up out of bed without it? No. And if you have to go to the bathroom quickly, you, you, you're going to do it yourself because it takes forever when you call the nurse or the aide because they could be attending to other patients. And I don't want a bedpan. No, that's not my preference. No. And again, like we talked about lighting and the, and the bed height, that plays a big uh, role in falling. Because if, if the bed is up high, because maybe a, a nurse was coming in to do a procedure and she moved the height of the bed high, you could fall out of the bed easier because you can't, I'm short, I would not be able to touch the ground. Or um, the lighting, if the lighting is, is not good, you will fall. So let's talk a little bit about another big oh, um, potential big yeah, for errors, and that's going to be your, your medications mm -hmm. and your tests and your procedures that can cause an error. So this is not a comprehensive list, but just to talk about a few things that are points for errors, the, I think, for me, the big one is the EMR, the mm -hmm. EHR, the electronic health record that right. every every person in the hospital, I, I don't know about the janitor, but it seems like everybody <laughs> is in that computer system all the time. They're always cursing it. They're always pecking on the computer, but it's a necessary evil. Mm -hmm. You know, we have come a long way from paper and pen to get to this electronic medical record, and it's supposed to help prevent errors. People are clicking boxes. They can get in your chart. Multiple people can access your chart all at the same time. However, sometimes those safety measures can also cause errors and it can slow things down. Right. 
um, pharmacies. There's like a lot of stipulations to protect the like protect your chart from places of error. But with pharmacy error, you can get an error with medications. Oftentimes, um, you may be confused because you're taking medication that's on their formulary, and maybe you were on a different type of medication. You might have a side effect to that medication. You may not have been able to tolerate that medication at home, and now they're giving it to you there, and it it can be an error. Just to give you know a, a list of them you know it might be the wrong drug mm -hmm. the wrong dose the wrong time mm -hmm. it, i mean the wrong person the the an allergy something that you're allergic yes. to like dr t said or maybe a side effect maybe it's a test that they did and it's the wrong test you know you always hear about the wrong surgery those don't happen very often so that they're very notorious when the wrong surgery is done maybe they should have ordered a test or a surgery or a procedure or and a med didn't. and they failed to order that yeah. what they ordered was a nice gesture but maybe it was wrong maybe it was unnecessary and tests and meds and procedures all have risks associated with them mm -hmm. and so if they order something even though they're well-meaning if you didn't need it they exposed a person to something that they didn't need right and uh, diagnosis errors you I mean it's a huge error it's it's it doesn't happen that often but it can be detrimental to the patient um, we also find patients get discharged too soon mm -hmm. or or they're or the opposite they're kept in the hospital way too, too long. long too long I I cared for a patient that uh, went to the hospital like on a middle part in part of a week and had a surgical procedure done that was an elective mm -hmm. and they ended up having a little uh, perioperative little mini stroke mm. and so day one post-op they still had a lot of pain and they had a little bit of memory impairment from this procedure uh, the, from the anesthesia and so they kept them over the weekend because the individuals having pain and they lived alone at home and they had been independent they actually drove themselves to the hospital and they had a, an injury over the weekend from a fall and mm -hmm. they ended up needing to be there that next entire week and then they started not eating and mm. they started having more decline. And after being in the hospital for six weeks, our palliative team was consulted. And this individual mm. just progressed to decline because they were totally out of their element, out of their routine, and they just kept having little insult after little mm -hmm. insult. They had a little TIA, then they had a little fall, then they had another little mini stroke. And, and all of this dated back to that original hospitalization. And you just, you just worry about that. Should we have done that elective procedure to begin with? Mm -hmm. That's why it's really important to have a good relationship with your healthcare team and to have open goals of care, discussions, physicians who are listening. Have the support of your family and have them involved in the mm -hmm. care. Absolutely. Another uh, problem that occurs in the hospitals, language, like language problems can occur, meaning, you know, uh, are, are the staff speaking too softly? Are they speaking too loud? What's their accent? Um, is the patient English speaking? Mm -hmm. You know, do mm -hmm. they need do they need somebody that's non um, English speaking? Are they Spanish speaking? Are they Haitian? Also, medical jargon. Like, oftentimes, you know, patients will just shake their head because they can't hear. Their hearing aids are at home. Or they don't understand the jargon. And they the don't jargon. understand the jargon. So it's, it's a speaking and listening, and mm -hmm. we each have to 
do our share. The physician has to speak and has to listen, and the patient has to speak and has to listen. They have to hear what's being said, and they have to process it. And it, the, the physicians aren't trying to be rude when they ask you to clarify or verify that you understood what they're saying. They just want to make sure they're making themselves clear. And by the same token, you need to tell them, I don't understand that. You need to explain that to me in a different way. Exactly. And it's really important important to um, have those conversations because that's you don't get a lot of time with a physician in the hospital because mm -hmm. they're making rounds. So make sure that you're getting your questions answered. If you have hearing aids, hopefully your loved ones can bring them in so you can hear better. And hopefully, um, even with the masks, it's hard to understand people because the enunciation is mm -hmm. different now with the COVID masks. So... Being in the hospital, another whole area of concern that we have is mm. hospital-acquired infections or hospital-acquired wounds. And I'm not talking about like a surgical wound uh, when I'm talking about that or uh, an infection that you know was anticipated, but something that we try to prevent. So mm -hmm. bacterial infections, viral infections, fungal infections, all of those could occur in the hospital while you're there. It's an increased risk for elderly, somebody mm -hmm. that's got a weakened immune system, anybody with a serious illness, whether it's a heart problem, a lung problem, a kidney problem, a liver, a liver disease. So if they're at risk, they could get an infection much easier. And you may not think about it, but any kind of medical device is mm -hmm. a puts you at a higher risk. Dial, like a pacemaker, people have uh, stents, pacemaker, IVs, catheters, ventilators, all these things and prosthetic devices and prosthetic joints, all these things are a source of infection. It's like a foreign body in your body and bacteria act like it's a magnet. viral they and look fungus it. love it. So if you've got you know, a gallbladder problem or a kidney problem and they have to put in a drain, mm -hmm. those drains are really hard to keep bacteria out. Um, you you are just at a higher risk of being there. Mm -hmm. You can not be, you know, clearing your lungs, breathing deeply, coughing, so you're increased risk for a lung infection. You're, we've already talked about eating in bed. Yeah. You know, do you swallow stuff right? Did you aspirate something? Mm -hmm. So deep breathing, an intermittent cough. You know, I used to tell patients every time a commercial comes on, take a deep breath or have a cough, you've got to keep your lungs, lungs healthy as well while you're there at the hospital. Right. If you have a current um, um, infection of MRSA or you've had prior infection of MRSA, um, they, these kind of things put you at high risk for more infections. MRSA is a bacteria that is uh, really prevalent mm -hmm. in hospitals right now. It's methicillin resistant staph aureus. And it's a bacteria that we should be able to kind of cohabitate with or control on our own. But if we have a medical problem that impairs our immune system and our immune strength right. is weakened, then we're at a higher risk for that MRSA, for that MRSA, to, to become a an acute infection. Yeah. And patients that have been recently hospitalized or institutionalized in the last six months, they're at a higher risk of infection because they they are weak. Their immune system is weak. Everything's weak. So well, and living in a communal area, if you yes, live in a, a nursing with home, a lot of assisted people. living, um, uh, an independent living situation, you're at higher risk than somebody who lives in a private home. If it's mm -hmm. an individual that's incarcerated in a prison system or in a jail system, they're at a higher risk. 
you know, we know kids who live in college dorms are at a higher risk, but usually they're young and they're vigorous and they have a great immune system, so they can get infections, but usually their immune system is such that they're able to fight that off. Right. Others that might be at risk is just by age. Mm -hmm. If they're over the age of 70, they're at an increased risk for an infection. Right. Recent surgeries put you at increased risk of, of infection. If you had a re recent surgery, heart surgery, lung surgery, abdominal surgery, or joint surgery, this is all um, part of the risk factor. So make sure you know um, what you're signing up for when you sign yeah, up when for you these elective for surgeries. And, and orthopedists, I'm, I'm telling you, those guys are, are beasts about making sure my joint is kept clean, my surgical wound is kept clean. Mm -hmm. Some, some medications can actually increase your risk for infection because they may reduce Just your ability to fight off infection. Now, certainly, you know, steroids might decrease your mm -hmm. ability to fight off infections, but there are some infections, viral infections maybe, that a steroid might be appropriate. Sometimes those PPIs that you use for um, reducing Same. risk for uh, an ulcer, a stress ulcer in a hospitalized patient might actually decrease their ability to fight off an mm -hmm. infection. So it weakens their immune system. So you have to, you have to look at the whole patient. Mm -hmm. Wounds can place you at risk. Oh, we talked yeah. about the surgical wound, but sometimes being in bed, you can get a little sore somewhere. You can mm -hmm. get a little sore on your backside, on your bottom, maybe on your heel or an ankle, depending on how you rest in that bed. Or maybe you were trying to get out of bed and you bumped your elbow and now you got a skin tear or you've got an abrasion on your ankle or on your foot. You need to bring that to the attention of your healthcare uh, team so that they know that now there's an open place in the skin because your skin being closed is one of the best barriers you have to infection and we do have a video on skin yes. and how that relates to serious illness that we can link that below if you want to watch our skin and serious illness video. Yeah, and patients that have wounds or pressure uh, sores or bed sores, they should have a specialty bed even while in the hospital, and that will decrease um, the risk of them worsening. However, then... <laughs> however, it can contribute to a fall because they yes. can't get out of the bed. Exactly. Um, so you have to just make sure that you're repositioning your patient to try to prevent the wounds. So if all goes well during your hospitalization, which we hope, and now it's time for discharge, they've got to look at that because the discharge mm -hmm. process also has risks. Now it's time to go home. Yay, you are yes. stable and you don't need that close monitoring for your acute situation, but it doesn't mean that you're out of danger completely. You are better, but you may not be well. You may not be returning to home in the same condition that you came to the hospital in. It's likely that when you're ready to go home, you won't be at your prior baseline. Yeah, and that being said, you may not be going to your actual home. You could still be weak and still be frail, and you might be so weak or frail that they say you can't return to your prior living situation. So we need for you to be evaluated maybe for rehab or a different living situation, mm -hmm. maybe for a short period of time, hopefully, that you can get stronger before you go back to your, your primary residence. A lot of patients need uh, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and some will need speech therapy upon mm -hmm. discharge from home. So it's really important to make sure that all of that 
is in place. It's just not as simple as, okay, I'm going to go home. They've got to <laughs> evaluate your ability to take in food and mm -hmm. fluid and get your oral medications. Can you obtain your medications? Are you going to be able to manage your pain, manage your bowels, manage your bladder? And, and get all of those services coordinated. Do you need durable medical equipment before you go home? That's mm -hmm. gotta be coordinated and it may be necessary to be in the home before you ever leave the hospital. If you're on supplemental oxygen, you're not yeah. going home till that's there. Right. And durable medical equipment's like the supplemental oxygen, the wheelchair, the walker, bedside commode, table, that's that's what we're talking about. So if you're just like emphatic, I've <clears throat> gotta get out of here, I gotta get home, and the doctor's hesitant, or maybe your family's hesitant, you still have time. You've got up to 30 days to make your decision that no, home was not the right place for mm -hmm. me. I do need some rehab, even if it's just for a week. I'm not getting enough help out of having you know, physical therapy come twice a week and occupational therapy come twice a week. I need more intense that than that. I need to go to geriatric boot camp. I need to go to, mm -hmm. to a rehab facility so I can really work hard and try to regain my strength, even if it's just for a week or 10 days. You have a little bit of time to make that decision. Yeah, so if you desperate, I gotta get out of here, they'll let you go, but you've gotta have all those follow-up arrangements. Mm -hmm. You are supposed to see your primary care within 72 hours of discharge. So if you get discharged on Friday, that means Monday morning you're supposed to have your, your yourself in with your primary care to, to follow up. Yeah, and you, you need to have support and assistance of your friends and family um, to help you. You have to also, um, to go back to the primary care, please bring your discharge paperwork and obtain it before you leave. Your discharge paperwork is supposed to contain a lot of information, so it's going to be a full packet. Mm -hmm. It should tell you the reason that you were hospitalized. They should include all well, of the major tests that you had, ideally with the results of those major tests, and it should tell you the, the reason for your your medical diagnoses. It should have all right. that stuff contained in there. They should also give you advice as far as your diet, your activity. It should be wound a care. plainly written out for you. Your yeah, your wound care instructions, your medication mm -hmm. instructions, and they should tell the dates of your follow up. Not just your primary care, but also the specialists that you're supposed to be able that you're supposed to follow up with and they almost always contain a little disclaimer of there of when you're supposed to come back to the emergency department yes what those parameters what are those are. parameters to come back like if you're having chest pain or high fever things of that when nature. to call the doctor when to call the doctor some things that you can do to help yourself and help your physician to help you stay on track to help keep you from getting more ill while you're in the hospital and help prevent any errors. Help the hospital make your stay more safe. Right. Um, a calendar and a clock is a really big thing. Uh, I recently had a family member in the hospital and the clock was off by an hour and you don't realize even just having a clock off by one hour what that does to a person but it can drive you crazy if you are in a time you're taking medications in a timely fashion so it's good to have a good calendar a clock you if you want to have your phone and you're alert enough to have it because sometimes phones can be stolen from the hospital mm -hmm. um, you know make sure you have your chargers uh, make sure you have your watch get up it is so important to get up and move around even if you're not eating or drinking if you're like in an npo because you're about to have surgery you still should be getting up and moving around develop a routine 
a daily routine while in the hospital. Don't succumb to allowing yourself to completely be treated like royalty. Yes. Move around. Do some things for yourself, even if you're just walking across the room. Ask them, am I allowed to leave my room and, and walk around the hallway? Because mm -hmm. you're not getting any exercise. And some people say for every day you spend in the hospital, you're going to need two to three days for rehab, yeah. up to, up uh, to five, five days. days. Mm -hmm. Up to five days, depending on how debilitated you were going in. You want to keep a log or a diary if that's your thing that might help you stay on track talk to people if you have a phone make sure you're talking to others uh, to try to share information with family and friends to kind of keep you on point because you're the one that's in the hospital and you have a uh, you you have an increased risk of having just hospital delirium because you're out of your element um, ask a lot of questions confirm your understanding don't worry, you know, about taboo topics and whether you're going to jinx yourself. That's not that you need to know what what are the what ifs. Um, this is your body. You you have the choice. It is not up to the physician and the nurse to make the decision. Make sure you're you stay on topic and you know what you're in for. Yeah, I know they're going to be interested in a lot of information that you have, but remember everybody's time constraints, and so you're going to want to share the important information. And sometimes mm -hmm. you're not sure if this is important or not, so offer that information. And if they want to have more information on it, then you can go into a lot of the detail about what yeah. happened or how you got to where you are, but do stay on topic for them. You can have, um, you can help yourself by having your hearing aids, mm -hmm. having your glasses. If you have dentures, um, I, I encourage you to have your dentures so you can eat, eat. and drink. Mm -hmm. Then make sure you get up and you go to the bathroom, you pee and you poop and you keep Keep your regular cycle as best you possibly can. And if it does go awry, please let the team know. Don't wait five days without a bowel movement because the the um, ramifications of that and then the you medication. You sound like that's it. I don't need to worry about that. Yes, yes, yes you we do. do. Yes, yes, it's really important. We want to manage your pain, but you have to realize you're in the hospital for a reason. And so elimination of pain is not likely when you are so, so seriously sick. ill. But we do want to manage your pain so that you can get up, eat, drink, mm -hmm. pee, and poop. We want to manage your pain as best we can without zonking you or putting you at risk for other problems. Safety is a big thing in the hospital. We want to make sure that we don't cause any more injuries. So make sure you use the call button if you can't get up. If you have slippers or shoes, please put them on before getting up. Um, another big thing is hand washing, hand sanitizer. Um, and make sure, like during the day, open your window shades. So you know it's daytime, so you can try to help yourself. Try to keep your regular schedule. We really appreciate you watching today, and I know this was long and kind of rapid fire, but the hospital is not always as safe as what we want it, and we want you to have a good experience if you need to be in the hospital. But the harsh reality is sometimes bad things happen at the hospital. So being there, sometimes that puts you at risk, and you need to do your part to keep yourself safe. Thank you so much for joining us, and have a wonderful day. Bye, Bye now. now. Thank you for listening today. You can also find us on YouTube, channel name you only die once if you have any specific questions you would like us to address please feel free to send us an email at you only die once do's at gmail.com that's you only die once dos at gmail.com thanks again and we'll talk to you again soon